Exodus chapter 20, verses 12. It says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for, for Ryan, God. Would you, would you be with him, Lord? Would we be attentive to what you have to say to us this morning? Uh, we thank you for your grace, Lord. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are uh, in a series of messages that we're calling uh, Law and Gospel. And the reason that we are in this series is because we think it's so crucial in our understanding of who God is to understand uh, the Torah, the, the Old Testament, uh, deeply. And so, uh, and so we've been journeying through this uh, for some time now and are continuing, as Patrick said, with the fifth commandment today, which is all about being children. Um, and really what we're going to discover is that it's even more than that. It's really about learning to live under authority. So I, I don't know about you, uh, I've had my share of rebellious moments myself. Uh, one of the worst that comes to mind is uh, as a recent high school graduate, I had acquired, I'd come into a little bit of money, you know, graduation money. It's amazing how much people will generously give you. And it was literally burning a hole, not literally, because that'd be weird, but it was burning a hole in my pocket, okay? Uh, and, and I, you know, I had a, a four-cylinder Toyota Tercel that I would drive that I'd have to put a couple quarts of oil in every time I filled it up. And I was just, I was just tired of driving it. And I said, Mom, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to buy another car. And, and so I had my eye on this you know, Dodge Avenger two-door coupe that was like candy apple red with a sunroof, and all I know is the speedometer went up to 160, all right? That's all I'm saying. And so mom was like, yeah, you don't really need that. You should really pay for school, and if you've been around New City any uh, time, you know that uh, uh, I, I was not the best manager of money when I was in college, the whole jet ski thing, but uh, anyway, that's another story. But I, so my mom said no, and, and I thought, you know, who cares? And so my mom, just so happened that week, my mom was having a major surgery where she's going to be in the hospital for several days. And so while she was under anesthesia, um, <laughs> I came into the hospital uh, and, uh, you know, the car was outside the window and I just, beep, beep. I said, oh, yeah, mom, you know that car? I was thinking maybe she'd forget that she didn't tell me. She's like, she's like, she's got like IV. She's like, like, she's so mad at me. And as I walked out of the hospital that day, I tell you what, I just felt so dirty and rebellious. I mean, it was not a good feeling walking out of the hospital that day, and I think that car was cursed. I got a lot of speeding tickets, and it was not good, but anyway, uh, can anybody relate to that kind of foolishness that you've had with your parents? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I saw a couple of people raising both hands, so who knows, but um, you know, Augustine once said this. He was a church father and, and a preacher and he says this um, in one of his commentaries that he wrote. He says, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he'll spare? And uh, when I think about this, uh, I think about the way that we learn to live in the home and the way that we live in the home as we grow up is somehow uh, there's an echo from the home to the world. Uh, and I think that's what Augustine meant when he said this, that, you know, you, know, you can use the geneagram or you can talk about your family of origin issues that we all have. You can do all of those things, but first and foremost, the home is the first place that we learn to trust and mistrust authority in our lives. And the implications of this go farther than the four walls of your house, and they always have and they always will. And this is why God gives us this command. And, and as I scoured church history documentation this week, just kind of looking at how people had preached this text and what it meant, I came across a, 
a, a, a catechism question that I thought was just very pointed for us. And, and it comes out of the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written circa 1563, so a long time ago. Um, and here's the question. It says, what is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? And here's what it goes on to say. That I honor, love, and be loyal to my father and mother and all those in authority over me. That I submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. And also that I be patient with their failings. For through them, God chooses to rule us. This is the heartbeat of what the fifth commandment is all about. So if you came in expecting, you know, just a sermon to, to, to help you think better about being a child, or maybe if you're a parent, to help you think about how to, you know, lead your children. It's far more cosmic in scope than that. Um, these categories are really all about, you know, the commands actually have a category that's attached to them, and they're really all about addressing kind of the underlying issues of those behaviors that they particularly address. Because here's the deal about the family is that God intends the family to be the first school, the first government, and the first church that we will ever encounter. And the first experience of living under his authority, rule, and reign in our lives. And, and a lot of us have, have done that maybe real well, and a lot of us have done that maybe real bad, and a lot of us have done both, right? So you begin to see in the home there's like this magnifying glass of what you really think about God. And it's convicting as we think about it, because since our birth, we've been programmed with an ideology that says authority in our lives is bad because it constrains our freedom. You know, I, I thought that mom's authority, her voice in my life, even as an 18-year-old young man, was bad in my life because somehow she was holding back from me something that I really wanted, that was really best for me. And so I went against that because really I was the Lord of my life in that moment. I didn't trust what God had put in place in my life. As, as an authority. We, we can't seem to fathom how freedom and authority might somehow live in tension for our good and God's glory. We think that it's either one or the other. So we think that parents are awful because they set boundaries and, and keep us from what we really want to do. Um, in, in marriage, we might think, and, and it talks about this in, in, in Genesis, about the, the wife's desire will be for her husband's role in the marriage. We, so, so we think that men are no better than women, which this is obviously true. Amen? And uh, so, so why does God give them leadership in the home? Uh, we, we think that government is corrupt, so why should we follow anything that's said? We, we think that church leaders, elders, pastors are sinners, so why should we listen to and believe the words and instructions that come from their mouth? And, and what we are doing is failing to see that all of this is set in place by God. And so when we choose another path other than what God has chosen to put in place to rule and to reign in our lives, we are ultimately rebelling, not against that relationship only, but against the Lord God Almighty. In our deepest heart of hearts, we're plagued with this disease and desire to be free, but in our sin, we have no idea how to get it. So from the womb to the tomb, we spend our time living for ourselves unless Jesus Christ radically intervenes in our story. Our ideologies around being children to our parents and parents to our children's husbands and wives in marriage, citizens of a country, and members of churches reveal that deteriorated view of authority 
in our lives. And, and our idea of freedom and authority is flawed. And what happens is it ultimately leaves us in this hopeless place when we get what we really want, which is that independence. And so today what I want to look at is just this idea of authority. And, and yes, it's going to cover parents and children, but it's also going to cover some other areas. So I want to encourage you not to check out if you're maybe in here and you're single, or you're not married, you don't have kids, or your parents are past. Don't check out today because there's more for us in here than just that relationship. So here's our big idea of where we're going. Submission to Jesus empowers us to submit to others. So let's dig into our first point here. It's, it's really about the, 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 the role of authority, honoring authority in our lives, because this is God's design. So when God gave the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai to Moses for God's people, it is believed that they were given on two stones, two, two tablets, right? And, and the first really had a lot to do with Israel's vertical relationship with God really about their relationship with him and getting in vertical alignment with him. Because if we're not in alignment with God, there's no way we can be in alignment with one another. And so at the top of the second tablet, it's believed that this, this fifth commandment is at the top of it. This, this idea of living under the authority of God, especially in the home. And I'll, I'll remind you of what the command says, because it's important to realize what the command does not say as much as it is to, to realize what it says. So here's what it says. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days, so there's, there's a promise here, this is distinct from the other commands, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land from the Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you. So I want to just break down kind of that promise, but then also the word honor and what that really means. So honor, uh, or the Hebrew word kabed here, literally means to be heavy or weighty in our lives. So it's, it's, it's different than, than respect. That doesn't quite get to it. What you, what you see is that it really has more to do with an office or a role than character uh, or even relationship. It, it has to do with the fact that God has made these people your parents. You didn't have any choice in the parents God gave you. Some of you are real thankful for that. Others of you not thankful. <laughs> and I get it. It's messy. But, but it has really to do more with the role or the office in our lives than anything else. And it's difficult because there's an innate rebellion against authority aimed at our parents that lives inside of us. And, and parents, what they do is they, they kindly reveal our hearts first. They're the first people to kind of show us really what lives inside of us as they discipline and instruct us and call us out in our mess, right? They're, they're, they're the kind of people that, that, that do that. And, you know, it's, it's funny because even in our staff meeting this week, we were working through this text and just, just asking God, you know, staff team, what do y'all think that the new city needs to hear this week? And one of the staff members uh, even said, I, I cringed at telling my parents when I finally did become a Christian because I knew that that was what they really wanted for me. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that lives inside of us. You know, we, we kind of gasp at it like, ah, but it's the same thing that lives inside of each of us. There's just an innate rebellion that lives inside of this. Honor is, is not, it is, let me say it this way, it's unemotionally charged, okay? So it's not emotionally charged. It's, it's, it's distinct from that. It's a response to God's role in our lives through our parents. And it's, it's even whether they're biological or not, that, that we're called to show dignity courtesy, and long-term loyalty to the people that we call parents in our lives. And that's going to look really different for each of us. But I want you to remember those three words, dignity, 
courtesy and long-term loyalty because you can do those three things even if you never want to see your parents again. Like that kind of lives in you because you were experienced. Because let's, let's be honest, some of us have had really bad parents. And this isn't a command that excuses what's happened to you, what you've been raised in, none of that. It doesn't say, hey, let's just brush all that under the rug and you just go and obey whatever they say. It doesn't say this is honor, dignity, courtesy, long-term loyalty. You're in it for the long haul with your parents. You remember that scene in Genesis chapter 9 where uh, Noah has been in the ark with his family. God has delivered them. Um, it's been this amazing thing. And he gets out, and I don't know how many years pass, but they, they, he plants uh, a garden and a vineyard, and, and one day he has a little bit too much of that homemade wine that he made, right? And he finds himself blackout drunk and naked, right? And his, this is a real story, Genesis 9. I'm not making this up. It's too good to make up. And uh, his sons find him. He has three sons. And, and his son, uh, let's see, I think it was... Um, Ham, his son Ham finds him and kind of dishonors him, kind of pokes fun at him and shows his brothers, oh, look at dad, he's so drunk. And uh, when Noah awakes, he curses Ham because he didn't honor his father. So what I want you to see from that text is, is, is that, that the role of authority that, that uh, Noah had in Ham's life wasn't dependent on even his character. And, and some of us really need to hear that today because we look, we're like, it's like that kid that Patrick mentored said, I, I want to be anything other than my dad. That there is a way by God's grace that we can still honor even those types of parents in our lives. And, and it may be at a distance, it may be in a different form or a different fashion, but there's a way for us to even enter into that. The second thing about this command is that there's a promise attached with it. And, it's, and the promise is this, that your days may be long and it will go well with you in the land. So... We can't take these words to guarantee an automatic 90 years of life if you've honored your mother and your father, right? Because then we would just be looking at people's kind of death certificates and saying, oh yeah, honor there, not there, right? You'd be kind of looking at it that way. It's not what he's saying here. The, the, the promise is connected uh, to the, the capital P promise, right? Because remember the context of the Ten Commandments. They were given uh, to Israel as they were delivered uh, out of Egyptian captivity, and God promised them land back in Genesis through the Abrahamic promise. So he was attaching his promise of grace to be a God to them and they to be his people, and it was connected to them getting into the land. So, so that, 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 that word pr promise, you know, that it will go well with you in the land, what, what really that is meaning for us is that he promises abundant living. So no matter how many years that you've got on this earth, and none of us know, that's sobering, right, to think about. No matter how many years God gives us, that we can live abundantly if we choose to align ourselves with God's will through honoring our parents. So as we kind of go to the second point here, I just want you to just want to ask a question. When you think about your own disposition toward God's given authority in your own life, what is your posture? And to, to think through that, you need to look at the different places that God has put you under authority. A lot of times we look at the places that God has put us in authority. Look at the places where God has put you under authority and what your heart's attitude is in those relationships. You know, so it could be an employer-employee kind of relationship. It could be a 
husband-wife kind of deal. It could be a parent and child kind of deal. It could be your posture as a citizen in, in this country. It could be any of those things. And you'll begin to see what it is, where the breakdown is in your role and your, your, kind of your posture toward God, uh, God's authority in your life. So secondly, now that we've looked at the design of God's authority in our lives and, and the goodness of that, let's look at the breakdown of authority. And this is the tragic rebellion of sinners from God's design. Uh, you know, I think we don't honor our parents, which is the, the fundamental authority structure in our life, because we want to be free. I've kind of addressed that already, and I think we would agree with that. Uh, in the garden, what you see is that the bait of sin was taken hook, line, and sinker, uh, and rebellion was, was birthed there, and, and it was birthed through the doubt of God's best for the lives of Adam and Eve. God didn't, the enemy came in and he, he, he planted a seed of doubt, and he didn't make Adam and Eve sin, but they chose to rebel because it lived inside of them. And it's the same thing that we do. Uh, we want this idea of freedom that, that we kind of call the shots and we get, you know, it, the buck stops with us, but we actually have no idea how to get it. If there's anything that, that's shown us that, it's history, right? The, the people that, 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 have, that have seemed to be the strongest leaders and, and done the best good, and, and have failed to live under authority, have absolutely destroyed their lives. True freedom from God's design in our life really is the worst imaginable captivity possible in life. Uh, to illustrate that, I just want us to uh, think about Mark chapter 5. You can turn there, but I don't have time to dig into it to the depth that I'd like to. But in Mark chapter 5, it's this story about Jesus in, with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Nazareth is on one side of the sea. And on the other side of the sea, there's this place that really not a lot of people went called the country of the Gerasenes. And there was a big cliff there. And uh, in the country of the Gerasenes, there, as you kind of pulled up on the shore, there was a graveyard just out of the city. And, and in that graveyard, Jesus and his uh, disciples pull up on a demon-possessed man that self-identifies himself as legion because he says, we are many. And so he's this demon-possessed man that's out of control. He's, he's naked and shackled and bloody. And he's just out of control. And, and, and he just has this reputation. I mean, he's alone in the graveyard. He wasn't able, he wasn't constrained by all of the things that we think are authoritative devices in our lives, like, you know, chains or a wife or children or clothes. I mean, if that's your thing. Um, uh, he, he lived where he wanted and he did as he pleased. He could come and go with no restrictions. He, he actually had a life of no restrictions. He could do Whatever he wanted to do, even the chains that they tried to chain him down with, broke. But what we see is that in all of his freedom, he was actually under authority he wasn't even aware of. Satan's authority. Actually, he was aware of it. He was under another authority. And, and, and when we desire the freedom from authority in our lives, apart from God's design, we are ultimately bowing our knee to the enemy. And we're taking the apple once again. And we're ending up in the graveyard in the country of the Gerasenes, free as we can be, yet in bondage. And, and, it's, and it's just this reality that hits us. And, and some of you have found yourself in bondage. If you, if maybe you've left relationships or you've kind of written off your parents and you've kind of done your own thing. You've, you've kind of made a way for yourself and you get to the end of it and you realize that there's not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know what I'm saying? You get there and you find out that you are absolutely in captivity. But, but here's the good news that I want to share with you. 
Jesus came for people who found themselves in captivity. The question is, are you there or not? Do you know that you're in captivity apart from Jesus or not? Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. It's a chapter that's typically known about God uh, reconciling the world to himself through Christ and creating us as, as, uh, as new creations. But just before that very popular verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes this about the nature of redemption. He says this, he died, Jesus, he died for all those who live, that all those who live might no longer live for themselves, key phrase, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus came for men that were naked and bloody and in a graveyard because they'd gotten themselves there in captivity, choosing their own way, choosing not to live under authority. That's who Jesus came for. Those are the people that Jesus came to set free. So no matter what that looks like in your life, maybe you're not legion, you know, maybe you're a couple degrees back from legion, Jesus came for people like that. This, this is why authority, our issue with authority and our rebellion cannot be solved by the law of God. I mean, think about this. After, after the, uh, the command to, to honor your father and your mother, to honor authority in your life, lives, come all of these other things that we would agree with are good principles to have. You know, you shouldn't kill, steal, commit adultery, covet, lie. All of those things we would say, those would be devastating to any type of a relationship. Right? But, but, but the law in and of itself is powerless to free you from your sin. And so by just thinking, let me just figure it out on my own. I'll, I, I'll figure this out. I've gotten myself into a pickle. I can figure this out. You, can, you don't have the key to the cuffs. You can't unlock it on your own. And, and so if you're hearing these words today and God's word is cutting your heart, he's piercing your heart with it, the only way that you can be set free is through the one who has the keys to life and death, who's Jesus Christ. Now, as you, as you think about that, I want you to ask yourself a question. How does rebellion against authority manifest itself in your life? So the, the first point I ask you to consider, what's your posture towards authority? This one I want you to consider, what's your, what is your behavior in rebellion? What does it look like when you're, you know, sticking it to the man? Like you just, you don't want to live under authority. What's that look like in your life? Is it is it that you just kind of withdraw and you don't, you don't engage in conversation anymore? Maybe in a relationship with a friend, you just, you know, the three little dreaded dots on an iPhone, you just give that to people. Yeah. Maybe you just kind of withdraw out of relationship. Maybe you just disappear. Maybe you get real vocal or angry. Maybe you're mad. What does it look like when you are going against God's design and living under the authoritative relationships that he's put in your life because he is the one that is ruling over you through them. What's that look like? It's so important for us to consider that. How else will we repent if we don't know what to repent of? Do you cringe at the thought of submitting your heart and your life to something other than yourself? If so, you're in good company, but it's the only way to be free. Lastly, let's land the plane with this point. Let's look at the breakthrough of the gospel. So we've looked at design in the first point. The second point, we've looked at this just kind of breakdown of rebellion and our hearts against authority. But let's look at the breakthrough of the gospel. Here's what we see is that Jesus honors his father's authority and empowers us to do the same through the work of the spirit. So, so let's pick back up on, on naked bloody guy, Legion, from Mark chapter 5, all right? So Jesus meets him. 
He redeems him. He saves him. He knows his name. And and Jesus comes and he finds all of us like he does that guy in Mark chapter 5. Do you know that? When Jesus comes and he meets us, he finds us all homeless, chained, naked, and different kinds of crazy, right? You got your own crazy. I don't need to know what it is. But you got your own crazy. And Jesus comes and he meets you in the middle of that, whatever your crazy is. And he seeks to set you free. And, and how did Jesus do this? Well, do you remember that time when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying and he was sweating blood and he was with his disciples and, and uh, he's praying and he and his father are kind of engaging, they're having this conversation. And he, he says to his father, Father, if there's any other way than the cross, let's go that way. There was, there was a moment where he wasn't quite sure if that was the best thing for his life. But, but in that moment, Jesus submits himself to his Father's love, and I'm so thankful that he did. But he submitted himself to the extent, guys, that he could no longer feel his Father's love. The emotions were taken out of it on the cross. He couldn't feel the love of his Father, but yet he honored him on our behalf so that we can submit to people, even people who in our minds are not even honorable. Even relationships in our lives are not even honorable. We can do it all because of Jesus Christ. What's the first thing Jesus does when he frees this man in Mark chapter 5? Well, the guy gets dressed and cleans himself up, something he hadn't done in Lord knows how long. And he really wants to go with Jesus. Why do you think he wants to go with Jesus? He wants to go with the disciples in this new way of life. But Jesus says something remarkable to this man. He says, no, Legion, or whatever your name is now, go home. Go home. Go home to the father and the mother that you didn't honor, the brother and the sister that you didn't honor, the the, the friends on the block that you didn't honor, that you terrified with your life and your independence. Go home and show them who I am. Sometimes the boldest thing that God will call you to do is go home. To go home and to show honor. To go home and show that the work of Jesus Christ is deeper than just changing your behavior. That it's a heart change. And it's only possible because Jesus has unlocked the shackles of your heart and set you free. Paul says it a little bit differently in Galatians chapter 5. He says this in Galatians 5, we're going to look at verse 1 and 13 through 15. He says this, For freedom Christ has set you free. He's unchained you. Therefore stand firm, because that freedom is going to try to be taken away from you, all right? Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, a yoke of independent living apart from God's rule and reign and design in your life. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity the flesh. So, in other words, don't use your freedom on yourself. That's not why you were set free. You were not set free for yourself. He goes on to say, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law, the whole Ten Commandments, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's that second table of commandments. First table is, you know, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Commandments 5 through 10. Right there he says it. But if you bite and devour one another, you keep serving your flesh, in other words, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what Paul teaches us in Galatians 5 is that the litmus test for true freedom in Christ, like am I free or not, 
is does it lead me to serve Jesus through serving other people? For setting myself aside so that others can thrive and live and flourish. We die to self because Jesus died on the cross and he rose and we have faith that the cross, no matter how it's applied to our lives and our living, is not the final word in our lives because the resurrection always comes after the cross. And so you may feel like you're bearing a really heavy cross. Maybe, it's, maybe this sermon is just haunting your relationship with your parents. I don't know what it is. It's been, a, it's been an interesting week for me too, parenting and being a child. It's been crazy. If, if, that, were the, if that were a qualification of, uh, of me being able to stand before you and herald God's word, uh, I'd be disqualified. I've not been a great parent, not been a great son, Right? But praise be to God, he's the one that qualifies us. So when rebellious sinners find themselves enslaved to the devil in the world, and we finally become aware of who Jesus is, there's this miraculous thing that happens. We get to the end of ourselves in the graveyard like legion, and we see that Jesus is still standing in front of us. And so what happens is that the fear of our rebellion, and what it got us, and the shame that it caused our families and ourselves, and our relationships loses its sting because it's no longer able to enslave us. So Jesus has come to set us free. I just want to give three practical implications as we kind of close out here. And I want to, I want to look at different roles in relationship that authority works itself out. We look at children, parents, and then the church. So uh, children, um, here's the first one. We can forgive our parents because our Father has forgiven us through Christ. Let me say it again. We can forgive our parents because our Father has forgiven us through Christ. Some of us don't need to hear anything else today other than that. You've been holding a grudge. You've been screening those phone calls, not responding to those texts or messages. You can forgive. Because anywhere that unforgiveness lives inside of us, the gospel cannot grow. And in my 13 years of pastoral ministry, The home is the place that most unforgiveness lives and dwells. You know why? Because it's the first place we experience authority. It's the first place we experience love or hate, trust or mistrust. So there's all this baggage there. That's why grace has to get there first. When Jesus redeems us, listen to what uh, Pastor Tim Keller said about this, this text. He says this, the only way to really honor our parents is to be free to displease them. The way to displease them is to get what you've always wanted from them. I don't know what this is for you. Maybe it was just to show up decent to your baseball game, you know? Or maybe it, it was um, just that you just wanted to hear that dad loved you. Or that, that, that mom was, she was going to show up. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but you've got that fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you wanted from them, to go to God and get that instead. Because God promises to supply us with everything that we need for life. So when you go, there's this miraculous thing that happens. When you go to God and you get what you have always wanted, that relationship with your parents is free to now flourish through honoring. Now, that flourishing might be like microscopic flourishing, or it might be extravagant. But you're free to honor when God is the one that is satisfying you, And he's the one that is living inside of you because you no longer have to get what your heart's desires are from another person. You get it from God. So we got to forgive. And listen, that's going to require faith. 
like, like, like radical faith because, uh, and, and, and faith that's beyond sight because it's not possible without Jesus giving you the Holy Spirit through faith. It's not going to make sense to anybody else because they're going to remind you of what they did to you, what they said to you, what they didn't show up for in your life. Whatever it is, go to Jesus and ask for that strength because honor, no matter what your relationship with your parents is, how good or bad is dignity, courtesy, long-term loyalty. And we can do that by faith in Christ. Secondly, parents, we, we seek to bring children up in the Lord through discipline and instruction. I want to read what Paul says about this in Ephesians chapter 6. And, and even if you're in here and you don't have kids, you're married, you don't have kids, or you're single, these verses are so crucial because guess what? This is your family right here. This is your family. This is the most true thing about family that you will ever have. It's not just our biological family. For some of you, that's really good news. For others of you, you still want to keep your own kind of thing over here. Family's messy. The church is messy. God gives us grace. But, but here's, how, here's how the scriptures tell us to raise up children. And we've said because we're a covenantal family that all of us belong to each other. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to go spank Roman this afternoon or anything like that, unless he really needs it. But, um, you know, it means that we're living together in this. There's no longer individual. There's, as, as Paul says, there's no longer Jew or Greek or Scythian or slave or widowed or married or orphaned. There's one family in Christ. Amen? That's us. And so in light of that, listen to what Paul says about family and children and, and, and how they mature to be God-honoring people. He says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first command with the promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. That's the command we've been looking at. And then he says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this text is predominantly aimed at adolescent children, okay? And we know that because he calls... He, the, the way that he applies that, that verse of honoring your mother and your father is he calls children to obey. You know, in our house, obey right away, all the way, in a happy way. That's, that's kind of our deal. That's what we say. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes. <laughs> my, ch my kids are great. Um, I want you to get the wrong impression. But he says, he says this, honor. And so the way to do that with adolescent children is we, we call them to obey. Not because we're always right. In fact, we get it wrong a lot but because of the role, the office that he's given us in their lives, to obey them. Now, um, notice the charges to fathers here. That's not because mothers aren't parents. I, I, in fact, culturally speaking, uh, I don't know that I know of any relationship where mothers are not 100% almost more involved in the raising of their children than men, right? But this hasn't always been the case, okay? It's a cultural thing. And it's something we have to fight against as God's people, it's, it's, it's important to realize that, that fathers have always been intended to be involved in the upbringing of their children. And not just from this representative form of authority, like, you know, oh, daddy's home, I better get my act together. Not, not like that, not from a position of fear, but of authority and leadership as an active participant in instruction and discipline in the lives of our children. Man, do you hear that? Now, everything in us paints the, the, I think it's Phil Dumphy, modern family guy, right? That guy, whatever his name is. This kind of aloof father that doesn't have anything what's going on in, 
in, in, in his life. This, this kind of caricature that's just so disgusting when it comes to the role of a father, right? It's funny and we laugh about it, but it's true because it lives in most homes in America. That's terrifying to me. So what's it look like for you fathers to step up into the picture a little bit more with the, with the discipline and instruction? Notice also that the charge is, is to bring the children up in the Lord. It doesn't say to let the children out in the Lord. It, it doesn't say to keep them under your thumb in the Lord. It says to bring them up in the Lord. Because here's the deal. Uh, we, can, we can keep our kids under our thumb for too long, and what happens is we have this kind of unhealthy, codependent uh, relationship, and, and maybe they get married, and then, you know, it's like, it's like husband, you know, wife, and mother-in-law, right? That, that's dangerous, okay? It says bring them up in the Lord so that they can leave and cleave together. It, it also doesn't say just let them out in the Lord. It doesn't say, okay, they're 18, they're on their own. It says bring them up in the Lord, and that, what that indicates for us is that there is, this, there is this discipline and training and wisdom and counsel that we're giving our children that is ultimately leading them not to an independent life like Legion, but to this interdependent life with God's people. That's different, and that's going to look different for each child, but our call is to seek that with everything in us. Now, he also says this, he gives some very specific ways that, that, that mothers and fathers are to bring their children up in the Lord. Two things in particular, he says this, to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So discipline, this is the, this is the training that involves correction piece. You know, uh, these are, this is one set of the guardrails that you need in parenting. The, our children, our covenant children in this church, need boundaries, they need boundaries in their life. It's also the instruction piece. So you've got kind of the discipline and training and the rigorous side of parenting that is so difficult and tiring. And you've got this other side that is the instruction side of parenting, which means literally in the Greek to counsel. So they need your heart and your wisdom. They might not act like they need your heart and your wisdom. And you might tell them 15,000 times the same thing, but we're just praying that one time it clicks, Right? We keep on keeping on because God has not given up on us with our kids. And so they, they, do, uh, they do not know what to do and what they need to, to hear from us. They have no clue, even though they might be confident. And unfortunately, I'll just say this here, failure to do this is what re has resulted in seven-year-olds saying that they're a different gender than the way God made them. We've got to step up in our kids' lives. Not just in the nuclear family, but in the family of God. We've got to show them the way of God and the design of God. I was having a conversation with Megan a couple weeks ago, and, and you know, I don't know if you, any parents ever get frustrated. <laughs> Somebody laughed a little too loud. That was good. Uh, you know, you get frustrated, and you make, I make like these rash decisions, like, all right, in your room for two months, you know, like, like, come on, like, and Megan was, you know, she was so patient and gentle, I think she was reading a book on parenting too, and she just knew just what to say, because I, I didn't say this to one of our kids, I just said it to her in a text, and, and she said, you know, um, well, we, we could do that, that, that's an option, you know, that, that, that's one way to go about it, 
Or, you know, we, 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 could, we could seek to change their behavior falsely and temporarily by doing that. You know, they, they would probably behave. Or uh, we could pray and ask God to change their hearts. And I thought, ah, that's why I married you. <laughs> you know, like, because that's really what we're after. We're not after behavior modification. We're after changed hearts. But we just don't know how to get to it sometimes. Training and instruction and bringing them up in the Lord. And being a community of people that are for each other. Where we don't look at each other's kids and say, wow, did you see what he did? But where we honestly seek the welfare of our community together. That changes everything. Lastly, Christians. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as the family of God. Now in Ephesians 5, he talks about all of these ways that we're called to submit. Wives, husbands, you know, children, uh, slaves, masters, employers, employees. But before he does that, he prefaces it with Ephesians 5.21 where he says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our relationships with one another as the church funnel through the lens of in Christ. We're in Christ before we're in anything else. Before we're in marriage, before we're in parenting, before we're children, we're in Christ. And, and when that is the lens that everything passes through, the behavior looks like this. We submit to one another because we revere Christ and his lordship in our lives. Just, just don't forget this, that every relationship, whether, whether it's parents and children, husbands and wives, friends, employers, employees, citizens of the country, whatever it is, every relationship is an opportunity to serve Christ by revering his name and honoring one another. And we can do that by faith in Jesus. He'll give us the power. Let's pray together. Father, you have uh, invited us to participate in your kingdom, Lord, and you've given us your word, and it is a hard word, God. And it is a word that uh, our emotions will never lead us to obey. But your call in our life can. Your spirit empowering us can. And so, Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning that, uh, that are emotionally confused by what we've talked about this morning. The strained relationships with their mom and dad or with their children, uh, with friendships or just a, a toxic attitude toward authority, whatever it is, God, I pray that you'd meet us this morning and show us that no sin is too big for the cross. That when everyone else leaves, you're still standing there, even if we're in a graveyard in the country of the Gerasenes, that you free us. And, and sometimes the boldest thing you call us to do is to go home and to show what Christ has done in us, and through us. So God, we pray that you give us a, a larger measure of faith to do that, to act on that, so we might bring honor to your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.